great song of preparation. Lord, help me to Amen. follow. Because the Lord is getting ready to tell us the way through his holy word. Thank God for the choir once again. Amen. Always leading us to worship. favorite old songs. He made a difference in my life. Page six of your programs. It's our responsive reading taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. Today, if the Lord be pleased, we desire, I desire to preach verses 13 through 17. And they sent to, to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's being, for you are not swayed by appearances. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Together, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Amen. Jesus is brilliant. Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful passage. Thank you for our journey thus far in Mark's Gospel. You have taught us much. Pray that your word, what you have already taught us in Mark, will dwell in us richly as we think about what you have already taught us. Lord, now we come to this section of Mark's Gospel. My desire is to preach Christ once again, to set him forth before your people from this holy text. I pray for grace to do that. Father, apart from your grace, apart from your wisdom, apart from the knowledge given by the Spirit, I am left to myself and I cannot preach the gospel. So I pray, Holy Spirit, feel me, control my mind, my emotions, and my will, control this tongue which can go in all different directions. Keep my mind stayed on you. I pray for your people, I pray for 
feeling of the spirit in them, the control of their minds as well. We're all battling against our flesh right now. The flesh can just get us to just take a small turn to just go around the curve and not listen. It will be satisfied. So I pray for grace to be attentive to your word, to be strengthened in your word, to be encouraged, to be reproved and be thankful for that, to be instructed in righteousness and exhorted and to see Christ our Savior, to bow in repentance and obedience to him once again, to leave here with zeal for Christ, to follow him more faithfully in obedience. Pray, Father, that you would work in us to will and to do, make us zealous husbands, and make, make zealous wives and students and singles, Lord, work in us all, for this message is for us all. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Who has authority? That's our theme for this short section. Who has authority? And of course you see I have in parentheses challenging the authority of Jesus. And you know the answer to the question already. So let me give you the answer to the question that's on the test. Who has authority? Jesus alone. As we will see. Now remember as we, we are traveling through Mark and preaching, we have come to the controversial, this controversial section of Mark, a series of controversies beginning in chapter 11 verse 27 running through chapter 12 verse 44. This is set against the backdrop of the opposition of the Sanhedrin, their opposition against Jesus. The Sanhedrin consisted of three major groups, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. Beginning with this account, each of these groups put Jesus to the test. The Pharisees on the question of taxation. We see that in verses 13 through 17. The Sadducees on the question of the resurrection. We see that in, in verses 18 through 27. And the scribes on the question of, scribe, of, of scriptural interpretation. We see that in verses 28 through 44 of chapter 12. Also, in each challenge, you will notice that Jesus is addressed as teacher. He's addressed that way by the opposition in verse 14 of this text, in verse 19 of chapter 12, and in verse 32 of chapter 12. You will also notice that in each uh, account where he, his authority is challenged, 
in each account, you will notice, as he always does, he demonstrates his authority. You remember, the Father spoke out of heaven, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And you notice, as we've been preaching through Mark, that authority characterized the ministry of Jesus Christ from its inception. Jesus did not get permission from anyone to do his work. He came letting everyone know the answer to this question of our text. Who has authority? Jesus alone. That, 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 that is important to, to recognize and acknowledge in our culture of tolerance where there is no authority and authority is relevant to the person. Well, let's set the truth in the context of, 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 of a culture that is postmodern, that is relativistic. Let's set the truth in that context and, and, and know this, Jesus alone has authority and everyone must answer to, to him and everyone must bow to him. Things in heaven and the things on earth, every knee must bow to him and nobody has a choice to do it if they want to. Jesus alone has authority. His authority is challenged. I want you to notice in verses 13 and 14, the Jews and their attack. The Jews and their, and their attack. I break it down this way. I want you to notice four things here. I want you to notice the, the conspirators. I want you to notice the conspiracy. I want you to notice the compliment. And I want you to notice the challenge. Notice first the conspirators. And, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians uh, to trap him in his talk. They points back to verse 12. The ruling priests, the elders, and the experts in the law. Remember they're mad. They're upset because Jesus exposed them in the parable. And now, ironically, they're seeking to do exactly what he said they would do. <laughs> but the, the ruling priests, the elders, and the experts in the law, uh, the, the three groups constituted the Sanhedrin. Remember, we met them in chapter 11, verse 27 also. So according to this brief verse, no fewer than five Jewish factions conspired to undermine Jesus' claim to be the Messiah of Israel. These men sent Pharisees and 
Herodians to trap Jesus. This collection of, of splintered groups comprised the Sanhedrin, which was a, a, a governing body of 70 Jewish statesmen. The Sanhedrin for, for Israel was the equivalent of a combined parliament and, and Supreme Court. Power in the Sanhedrin was actually shared by two sharply opposing parties. The Sadducees and the popular Pharisees. Now normally, these groups were at each other's throats because, uh, but, 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 but now they shared a common threat to their power so they banded together as partners in crime to eliminate Jesus. They sent, follow me, selected members of the Pharisees and selected members of the Herodians. You know the Pharisees, they were the religious conservatives of the day. They were very legalistic in that they tried to keep the very letter uh, of the law of God perfectly. The very name Pharisee means separatist. They were marked by pride and self-righteousness. They were often, uh, as we've already seen, rebuked by Jesus because their religious activities were merely external in nature. They had no real faith relationship with the Lord. Yet the Pharisees were, were very nationalistic in their political views. They, they hated being under Roman rule. They wanted to be free from it. They really were from two different sides of the political spectrum. The Herodians would have been very pro-Roman. Herodians were the supporters of the Herodian dynasty of Herod, the dynasty of Herod in Galilee and the north. And since Herod was ruling under the Roman authority, they essentially really were supporters of the Romans. So they were supporters of the Romans, and the Romans were the, was the ruling government that the, that the Pharisees wanted to be free from. Normally, the two groups had nothing to do with one another. They were polar opposites. They hated one another. But they came together for the common goal of destroying Jesus. They were united. They had some commonality in this fact. Both hated Jesus. They saw Jesus as a threat to their way, way of life. Their common fear is the authority of Jesus, which for the Herodians threatened political stability. And for the Pharisees, it compromised their religious influence over the people. Well, enemies will unite to try to get rid of Jesus. Polar opposites will unite yes, 
That's right. to try and get rid of Jesus. What do we see here that is important for our learning before I move forward? So we think about the conspirators. First, we see obviously the depravity of men. These are not the only men who hate Jesus. This may hurt a little bit, okay? But all unsaved sinners hate Jesus. Now you may have a nephew or a niece, or you may have uh, uh, someone you know who said, well, I know they don't hate Jesus, they're just not saved. I would beg to differ based on the Holy Scripture. Their nature is in bondage to sin, Romans 3. Uh, 10, 11, and 12, Genesis 6, 5. Uh, so the, the intents and thoughts of their heart have nothing to do with the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. So they are against Jesus. And I would also argue that Jesus himself said, you're either for me or you are against me. You're not unsaved and still like me. If you're not following Jesus, you hate him. No one is neutral. Amen. It doesn't matter what you say. If you're not following Jesus, you, you hate him. So we see the depravity of men, and you see uh, what you've been delivered from. Amen. You hated Jesus yes, too, right. and so did I. Yes, Secondly, we see that people who hate Jesus will unite for their common cause. Yeah. Sometimes you can get a conservative to agree with a liberal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. And both come together because they hate Jesus. Right. <laughs> right. But let me flip the switch. They had a commonality in this fact they both hated Jesus. We have a commonality in Christ. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we should always be united in our worship of Christ. We should always be united in our support uh, of the gospel of Christ. We should always be united in our love for Christ and for one another. The enemies of the gospel will come together because of their common goal of, of attacking Christ, because of their commonality in the fact that they hate Christ, where our bond is, deep, is deeper. We don't have to come together. We heard last Sunday we have been united together in baptism, in his death, and united together in the very likeness of of his resurrection so we don't have to come together we just have to live out our unity right I can't stay there those are the conspirators I want you to notice secondly the conspiracy the conspiracy why did they come to Jesus the text tells us to trap him in his talk That word trap has the idea of hunting or of setting a trap to catch one's prey. That's the idea in the original language. It carries the figure of catching a wild animal with a snare or a net. It's a very, it's actually a very violent word. Other meanings of this word uh, uh, are to be hunted, to take, to seize, 
to get hold of. Look at depravity here. The hunters are wanting to take, seize, get hold of, catch, and a snare Jesus. The hunters wanted to catch Jesus literally with the word. And the primary reference here is to their cleverly devised question. But in order to be successful, they must elicit from him some statement that they could use against him. So, they want to outsmart Jesus and get him to say something that would get him in trouble either with the Roman authorities or the common people. They, they, they could get Jesus to offend Rome, they, they, they could label him an insurrectionist. And Rome would take care of the problem then. Remember the Jews did not have the power to execute the death penalty, only, only Roman authority had that. If they, if they could discredit Jesus with the common people, then, then, then he would lose his influence there. It is a tragedy. When people seek to trap others so they can attack them. You know, when people ask questions they know the answer to. Try and get them to say something wrong. When a person listens to the words and watches the actions of another in order to find fault in that person. I want to say to you, if you're that person, you have a serious spiritual problem. For one thing, you think you're God because you're trying to test people and only God can test people. Right? You don't need to be testing no one to see what they're going to do. Who do you think you are? That's not the way of love. Right? Do you hear me? <laughs> Uh, 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 that's your way. Love doesn't insist on his own way. That, that, that's irritable and resent, resentful. Love is not irritable and resentful. Uh, love, real love uh, 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 remembers no injury to itself. <laughs> love, real love doesn't look for fault in others. We practice love in the church. Amen. I know 90% of our problems will be solved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. The problem with the Pharisees and the, and the Herodians was that they were lost men in bondage to their flesh. The Pharisees had religion, but they didn't have salvation. And you, want, you, want to deal, you want to find a dangerous person you find a church door that's unsaved. More harm has been done. Okay, I'm Baptist, all right? More harm has been done in the Baptist church through lost church members.
than through unsaved people in the world. Lost religious church members. I call you to repentance today. I call you to repentance today. I call you as, as you think about your life and your external religion that's attached to this building, that's attached to Sunday, that's attached to coming to give Christ a casual nod and say, I love you for today while you live your life the way you want to live. I call you to repentance. Turn from that life and put your trust in Jesus today. The wisdom of man is no match for the wisdom of God. They're trying to trap wisdom. <laughs> we have uh, finite knowledge going up against infinite knowledge. We have the wisdom of man going up against the wisdom of God. In this corner we have the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have all power, all knowledge right here in this corner. In this corner we have a sinful man in bondage to self, in bondage to sin, in bondage to Satan who knows nothing. And they're trying to trap Jesus. What must you and I look like when we make foolish excuses about our sin as if we can trap God? Don't make any excuses. Just repent. Don't say I did it because. Just repent. Don't say if you hadn't not done what you did, I would not have done what I did. Just repent. Okay. We see the conspirators and the conspiracy. Look at the compliments. <laughs> oh, look at the compliments. And they came to him and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. <laughs> For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. They address Jesus as teacher. A teacher is someone who is an instructor causing others to learn. And the emphasis in the text is on the correctness and accuracy of the truth that he teaches. Wow. Now we know no one in human history has ever spoken and taught what is right more deeply than Jesus. He is the word. He doesn't just Communicate the word. He's the very embodiment of the word. But this doesn't mean that they even receive Jesus as a rabbi. In fact, they're trying to disprove him. That present tense we know seems to be saying, uh, we've been doing this. It's supposed to be an honest uh, testimony to their appreciation of the integrity of Jesus. The phrase, you are true, here means uh, a person whose actions are, are guided by what is true rather than what is expedient. We know you're true. They recognize that he was, he was true, holy, truthful, honest, and transparent. The reality is that they viewed him as a deceiver, a liar, and a, and a fraud who had to be silenced by death. That's how they really viewed him. Notice they Father stated that Jesus does not care about anyone's opinion. Now this doesn't mean that he was indifferent to, to people, but that he was independent of their influence. Yes, he did not act simply to please people. Jesus speaks his own mind without trying to cater to a person's likes or dislikes. Oh, 
But the flattery continues. For you're not, you're not swayed by appearances. Meaning that Jesus doesn't pay attention to the outward appearance of men to be influenced by, the, by their position, by their wealth, or by their power. No matter to whom you speak, Jesus, what you say is still the same. You, you do not allow yourself to be swayed by rich or poor, learned or unlearned, master or slave. Wow, they're landing on thick, aren't they? And lastly, they say, you truly teach the way of God. The way of God refers to the way God demands righteous living. They recognize his habitual activity of teaching men the way of God. They just didn't recognize that he is the way. Amen. <laughs> what he taught me as the way of God was the very opposite of falsehood. So, in answering their question, they were sure, since you teach the way of God, you're going to give us the right answer. They're trying to throw Jesus off guard trying to catch him with their flattery. And their flattery has at least two devious purposes. First, you notice they're pretending to identify with people who for the most part did believe that Jesus taught the truth when they didn't really believe that. They wanted to convince people that they too were legitimate truth seekers. You know, like some of you here, you know, you, you show up to to make people think that you're something that you really are not. Move on, Pastor. Secondly, they wanted to inflate the Lord, make him prideful, hoping that they would that, 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 that he would dodge the question that they were about to ask him by saying something that was that would get him in trouble with either the Romans or the common people. Thirdly, they show us the depth of man's depravity again because man is so sinful that he can know something to be truth and still reject it. <laughs> we know you teach the way of God, right? We've been knowing that. But I, I want to flip it on them. I know just flattery, but man can know something to be true and still reject it. I probably have told you this before, but uh, uh, from time to time, I, when I worked at the District Public Defender's Office, I would have battles with uh, 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 an, an atheist guy who's actually uh, a friend of mine, not in an uh, intimate way that you are, but uh, a friend of mine. Okay. And he, he, he will try to argue God, uh, God can't exist. And, and R.C. Sproul hit me with something one time when I was um, uh, leading a group of men through uh, his theology courses here on Saturday. R.C. said, and I told him this too as well, if there ever was a time when there was nothing, there cannot possibly be something now. Because any fool knows. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. 
And it's more, it's extremely difficult for me to believe what an atheist believes. It's a lot easier for me to believe that there is a cause for what's here. Y'all don't hear me preaching, do you? <laughs> but man is so depraved. He can know. He has an innate knowledge of God, an inborn knowledge of God. He can know and still reject it. Jesus, we know you have integrity. You're fair. You're, you're impartial. You're true. You know what the irony, irony is? Everything they said in verse 14 is true of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's it. Amen. <laughs> They're trying to trap him and they speak the truth that they don't believe, but the truth that they speak that they don't believe is actually the truth and more to it. <laughs> now watch this. You see the conspirators and the conspiracy and the compliments? Listen, before I go further, Jesus is not impressed with your compliments. Compliments about the truth does not equal relationship to the truth. May, 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 may I help you in your dating relationships? Bring them here. They say, oh, I enjoyed the word. Okay, that's a compliment. Yeah. But it's the word in you. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Right? See, it's not enough uh, to just compliment the word. That's right. Salvation is not complimenting the word. Salvation is not saying, oh, yeah, that's true. Salvation is a relationship with the person, and his name is Jesus. Bowing to the authority, bowing to the sovereignty, losing your life, and gaining his life. Jesus doesn't even need our compliments because he's all sufficient within himself. Amen. He, he, he's great if no one says it. Glory. <laughs> he's yeah. awesome if no one ever mentions him. Yeah. The whole world stands and say, we think Jesus is a nobody. It doesn't change the facts. He still is who he says he is. Amen. Yeah. No, no, no. He, he doesn't need us. We need him. You see the challenge in verse 14? Oh Lord help me. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now the word lawful in this context means an action that is appropriate or morally per permissible within Jewish law. Let's go further. What are they, what are, what are they asking? Is paying taxes in accord with divine law. What are they asking? Let me break it down some more. Jesus, is it right before God? I know you know the answer because you teach the way of God. That's right. I know you're going to tell us the truth because you're a man of integrity. I know, I, I know we, we're getting ready to get a, a, a word because you, 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 you're not influenced by anybody. Let me explain taxes to Caesar. The 
fact, the tax that they're referring to re referred to an imperial tax that was first instituted actually in AD 6. The amount required to satisfy the poll tax was a denarius, which was the average daily wage in Palestine, according to Matthew 20, verse 2, verse 9. This tax was based on a head count of the entire Roman Empire. It was extremely divisive in Israel because participating uh, uh, to some Jews meant that they were declaring themselves a subject of Rome instead of God. It was serious to them. Mm -hmm. The tribute was the, the basic Roman tax imposed on every Jewish citizen. It was the price you paid for the privilege of living and working in the Roman Empire. It was highly unpopular, as most taxes are, right? But this was not just for, for economic reasons, but it was also for political and religious reasons. For the, for the Roman tax amounted to uh, a payment that, that Israelites paid to live in their own land. So some of these zealous Israelites considered the payment of tribute uh, to Caesar to be a sin because the Romans were robbing uh, uh, people of money that rightly belonged to God. It's a serious issue. I need you to see how serious it is because it helps you to see what they're trying to do to Jesus. So if Jesus told the people to go ahead and pay the tax, Many Jews were considered him a traitor to the cause of his people. Remember, remember, they're expecting a Messiah, they're expecting a Messiah to come and liberate them from Roman oppression. There's nothing liberating about having a Messiah that says, pay your taxes. Right? Don't keep us under Roman rule. That's what they were expecting. If Jesus told the people to resist the Roman Empire, if he, excuse me, if he told the people not to pay the tax, he will be guilty of subverting uh, the Roman government. Guess what the penalty is for insurrectionists? Death. In fact, when, you, when, when, when we get a little farther, especially you're going to get Luke 23, 32. That's exactly the strategy they later tried when they accused Jesus falsely of forbidding people to pay tribute to Caesar. They accused him of that during his trial. One thing the Romans didn't tolerate, they didn't tolerate rebellion. Jesus says, don't pay any tax. The Romans will put him to death. Mm -hmm. Boy, they thought. Whew. It took a while. Uh -huh. But we got it. Because he can't. He has to say one or the other. <laughs> Finally. He's been, 
He's been rocking this road about three years now. And we've been after him uh, uh, since we first heard about him. We've been after him and now finally we've got Jesus. He cannot give us a legitimate answer to this challenge. Well, let's see. Let's see when the wisdom of man, man thinks it has the wisdom Amen. of God Amen. backed in a corner. Let's see what happens. Watch our Savior. And in watching our Savior, I will say to you right now, notice how it's always best to follow the wisdom of God. You already see the end of the story. Uh, they end up looking stupid in front of Jesus. Right. Because the wisdom of man is always foolishness. Always follow God. Well, how do I know the wisdom of God? Right here. You don't need voices out of the sky. Just read and study your Bible. Get sermons in your heart. Don't just amen them. Amen. <laughs> amen is, 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 means so let it be. In me. <laughs> Look at the Lord in his answer. Oh boy. Jesus' answer, first of all, involved exposure. Look at the beginning of verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy. He said to them, why put me to the test? Jesus is not deceived, is he? All of these synoptic gospels, and I'm speaking of, of course, Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke, all of them employ different terms to indicate Jesus' reading of their character. Same account, you know, is in, in Matthew and Luke. Uh, Ma Matthew said that uh, he perceived their wickedness. Ugh. Luke noted that he recognized their craftiness, their readiness to stoop to cunning, deceptive means to attain their end. They sought to conceal their sinister, evil purpose under the pretense of being honest seekers of Christ. So, the question is dishonest, since in practice they had already decided it, because both the Pharisees and Herodians already paid taxes. Right? Follow me. So Jesus says, why put me to the test? So he tore the masks from their faces, because Matthew records, Matthew 22, 18, that Jesus actually said to them in their face, you hypocrites. So instead of being honest inquirers, Jesus says you're a liar. They said he always spoke the truth, and that's what they got. <laughs> so his question uh, not only exposed them, but it actually aimed at arousing their conscience. You hypocrites, why put me to a test? Go back for a moment. He said, he raised this question because he knew their hypocrisy. 
So they thought they could trap and outwit Jesus in their words. But something they didn't realize. He could see exactly where they were in their hearts. He saw the very condition in their hearts. He saw their hypocrisy through the truth that they spoke. I'll say that again. It bounced off the wall. I don't know if they hit anybody. It bounced off the wall. Let me put it back. He saw their hypocrisy through the truth they spoke. He saw their hearts. And that's a question you better answer this morning. If you leave the question on the table and don't take it seriously, you will leave here the same way you can. What does Jesus see when he looks into your heart? Does he see saving faith? Does he see a new creation? Does he see dead religion? Does he see deception and hypocrisy? What does he see? Does he see an unsaved person trying to act like they say? Does he see a person who just this week you've been living for yourself all week and then you come and give him a casual nod and compliment him? And call that salvation? What does he see? See, that's what we often forget. That Jesus can see beyond the external. Sometimes you act, we act like Jesus is just another human being. Why hide and be a deceiver in front of Jesus? I can hide something behind that door and, and, and say, oh, Jesus, I don't know what happened to it. No one of is here, this one is gone. And Jesus will say, oh, it's right behind the door where you put it. Jesus is omniscient, all-knowing. Everything's present before him. That's why I don't understand church politics. What are you doing? Any of the leaders will tell you. You're trying to do something against me and I'm standing on the truth. I don't worry about it. Because you can't win. In fact, I said bring it, baby. I know who's going to win. I don't say bring it, baby, because uh, I think I'm so much. I said bring it, baby, because nothing can win against the truth. You don't have a chance. Bring all. Hey, have your sidebars. Get all the meetings you want to get. You can't win. Listen to Hebrews 4.13. And no creature is hidden from the sight, but all are naked. When something naked, you see everything, right? And exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, 
You can't even worship God. You can't worship God unless you're exposed by the world. You can join in clapping hands. You can start jumping and doing everything. You can work yourself up into an emotional tantrum. But you can't worship until your heart is exposed and brought to repentance. You don't hear me preaching. You might compliment him, but you won't worship him. Jesus gave an answer that exposed him. Jesus' answer involved an example, verse 15 and 16. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me, here's the example, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. <laughs> Can't you see a dramatic pause? Jesus said, bring me a denarius. <laughs> Got the coin, the Roman coin. Coin used to pay the poll tax. And Jesus says, I got the coin. Look at Jesus with this example. Whose inscription is this? I can see the Herodians and the Pharisees that said, uh, Caesar's? He's countering their question with a question. <laughs> Let, 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 let me tell you what was on the coin. It, it, the inscription was Caesar's inscription. And here's how it read. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And on the back in Latin, it, it had the words Pontifex Maximus, which meant high priest of the Roman nations. That was what's on the back of the coin. That's what's on the front. So, the coin was Caesar's coin. As a practical matter, they wanted to pay any tribute to Caesar or not. As citizens of his empire, when they look at the coin, you got to understand you live in his realm. Right? <laughs> so, since you have this coin, then that means he has a claim on your economic life. Y'all didn't hear that, did you? You have his coin. That means he has a claim on your economic life. You with me? You know what amazes me so much? Danny, I have to sound a gospel note here, right? Dun, dun, dun. Let me sound a gospel note. Jesus had to borrow, borrow, a coin. Didn't it? Give me a penny. <laughs> the Lord of glory who took human nature to himself and lived as a man doesn't have a penny to his name. asking Jesus about money and he doesn't have any and that reminds me of two important truths. I remind you that he became poor yeah. That's right. yeah. for my sake. Yeah. 
that me through his poverty will become rich. For you know, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, yes. so that you through his poverty might become rich. Yes, yes, yes. But secondly, I'm reminded that Jesus lived in this world as a spirit-filled man. Yeah. He didn't need a pocket full of money. All right. To be content. He didn't need a pocket full of money. Boy, to be content, right? He simply walked by faith, trusting in his Father to meet all his needs. Is there anybody here that needs a pocket full of money to be content? It's a false contentment if you get it. You, we can never find contentment and satisfaction unless we find it yeah. in Christ yes, alone, who's the only one who can give it. Yes, sir. All right, you ready for Jesus' answer? Preach. Now that you're going, you ready for Jesus' answer? Preach, Pastor. Okay, it's not that short, all right? So don't think I'm going to Preach. Give me 15 minutes. You got to give me 15 minutes for Jesus' answer. I'm going to take it anyway, so let's get ready. <laughs> I'm Chris Eves Jr. <laughs> I'm the black Chris Eves. <laughs> That's a joke behind that, all right? Jesus' answer involved exposure, right? And involved an example, right? Lastly, in verse 17, his answer involved an exhortation. Just absolutely brilliant. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. He has his coin holding it out. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that, that are God's. Is it lawful to pay taxes or not? Should we pay them or should, should we not? Here's my example. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Now I want you to notice, citizens of the U.S., Notice that he said render. And word render means pay what you owe. It acknowledges that there are some things that are due to Caesar. What rightfully, what is rightfully due should be paid by all citizens. The coin before them belonged to Jesus' questioners. They used Caesar's coin, however unwillingly, but that was an admission that they owe Caesar certain duties. Now you want to get the practical benefit from this? What Jesus is saying is, is really deep. But practically speaking, we need to be reminded some things really do belong to Caesar. Give the government what it deserves. That assumes that the government has legitimate prerogatives. Jesus didn't come to overthrow the empire, set up an alternative state, presumably a Christian one. He didn't come to do that. Caesar has his proper place in reference to earthly authority. How do I know that? 
Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, the Bible says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, now the governmental authority is not unlimited, but it is legitimate. So what do I owe to Caesar, Pastor? Well, what do we owe to the government? Well, we need to pay our taxes. Y'all love seeing Brother Erskine win, didn't you? Amen. Pay your taxes. Amen. <laughs> That's right. Right? When there's a problem in his district, you want him to solve it, don't you? That's right. That's his job. Pay your taxes. <laughs> right? This pay comes from your taxes. Pay your taxes. Number one. It's the second way you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar to our government. Pray for your leaders. Right? Pastor, where do you get that? You're making that up. Pray for the government. That's an important part of even public worship. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 1, and 1, 2, and 3. He's saying, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for and all who are in high positions. Then he went on to say this, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now, I know I'm sitting among some people that are, woo, anti-Trump, right? Get Trump out of there! Stop being so negative and mean and start praying for the man. And maybe you're sitting there and saying, I'm not praying for Trump. I don't care what you say, Pastor. Well, let me read it again. Uh, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So do you want to please God? Pray for Trump. Yes, sir. I don't care if you're mad. Pray for Trump. Yes, sir. Right? Yes. Pray for your leaders. Yes, sir. It's a lot easier to look on and say what should be done versus when you're there. Practice civil obedience. Yes, sir. In other words, submit to the law of the land. I know it may be times when, as a matter of conscience, you have to obey God rather than men. I know that there may be times when we have to do that. But as far as we're able, we need to submit to the law of man and be God-honoring citizens of the United States. Christians ought to be known for their civil obedience to the law. What's the fourth thing? Participate in public life. Is your responsibility to vote. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. Right. All of the precincts ought to have high voting percentages from Christian people. You shouldn't have to be busting us and all that to try to get us to vote. That's right. Just read the Bible and vote. Bring me 
principles to the table. And I know I'm going to get in trouble on this one. But, but don't be pro-Republican or pro-Democratic. Be pro-Christ. Bring it to the table and make a decision and vote. Sometimes you might have to participate in the military. Sometimes you might have to participate like Daniel as a statesman. But there's something there. He's called to this. This is a, a vocation. But participate in public life. Right? Okay, Pastor, will you give us the good part? We don't like all we don't like all that that we, we have to do. Let me hit it again. Pay your taxes. Pray for your leaders. Not just the president, but all civic leaders. Pray for them. It is a command of God, actually. It's a command of God. Obey the law like you're supposed to. You get stopped by the police, beloved, and things get out of control. Know that it all could have been avoided if you just obeyed the law. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. Oh, yeah, they're supposed to do their job, but 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 no, we can avoid a lot of just obeying the law. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Render to God the things that are God. Well, seven minutes ago, so I have eight minutes to do the things that are God. Here's the flaw in the reason in the reasoning of these religious leaders. Here's our flaw as well sometimes. We try to make a distinction between religion and politics. And we say some things belong to Caesar and other things belong to God. I even heard Christians say this. I don't trust any politicians. Politicians can't be saved. We're like, what? So Daniel wasn't saved? No, he didn't write Daniel. <laughs> but here's the truth that Jesus is communicating. Even the things that belong to Caesar ultimately belong to God. How do I know he's saying that? And he's saying something even much deeper. Don't miss it because it's one o'clock. Don't miss it. Don't let the flesh make you miss it. All right? Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. The Greek word that Jesus used for inscription is icon. We get our English word icon from that. Image. Icon. That takes us all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to the beginning. All the way back to Adam and Eve. So, the denarius coin may have been made in the emperor's image, but the emperor himself, Adam and Eve, mankind himself, all human beings are icons of God, imaging the creator of God. Now, Caesar has his demands. And he demands a lot with taxes. 
But Jesus says, I want you to understand something. Clearly, Caesar is not God. Rome worshipped him as God. See, Jesus is not backing down here. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God. But understand, everything belongs to God because Caesar is not God. Do you think Caesar has some demands? Mm-hmm. Women to God, the things that are God. Well, God wants more than your wallet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you all don't have to shop with me. I'll shop by myself. God wants, wants more in, than your wallets. And since you and I are made in the image of God, imprinted with the image of God, Jesus says, render to God what belongs to God. And the question is, what belongs to God? Everything. Your whole soul belongs to God. Your whole being belongs to God. Body, mind, soul, it all belongs to God. Now here's the unspoken paradox in the text. I raise a question. You're welcome to answer it. Who Mm -hmm. has given Mm -hmm. everything to God? Who, with a pure heart, has poured out their lives for others, upheld justice and righteousness, avoided sin completely, both publicly and privately. Mm-hmm. Who has loved God with all their heart, Amen. soul, strength, and mind? Who has consistently and perfectly loved one's neighbor as our self? Who has done that? Mm. So, Jesus is saying, the problem is not that you have neglected and offended Caesar. The problem is, mankind's problem is, no offense, is not stronger, he needs stronger government, stronger communities, better police. Those things are good, but that will not solve mankind's problem. Man's problem is he has not rendered to God Amen. what belongs to God. All right, all right. That's his problem. Man's problem is he has rebelled against the sovereign creator. And man's problem is he has to deal with God and he can't. Amen. So. Jesus looks at them and he looks at us this morning. Who do you know has rendered to God all that belongs to you? Amen, amen, amen. Do you recall the context of this passage? Two days before Calvary. Two days before he dies. Two days before he pays the sin debt for mankind. Two 
two days before he offers himself as a substitute for us in our place. Two days before our life, his life is changed for ours. And Jesus says to them, you need to think about this question. No one is rude to God. What belongs to God except Jesus who is standing in front of him. I wish I had some warriors here. Oh, you out the one folks can't shout. Glory to God. No one has rendered to God what belongs to God except Jesus Christ right. the Lord. Amen. Yes, sir. And if you don't put your trust in him, if you don't turn from your sins and repent, turn from your life and repent, if you don't bow to Jesus Christ, trusting him as Lord and Savior of your life, giving up your life and asking him to give you new life, if you don't turn from him, then you have a question that, 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 that you can't answer. Who's rendered to God the things that are of God? You can't say, I've done it. Amen. And if you haven't done it, the only thing left is judgment from God. But you say, I don't want that. Well, you better run to Jesus. You said, I don't want to die and then have to look at Jesus. I understand that. Neither do I. And I came to Jesus just as I was. Weary, wounded, sad, but I found in him a resting place. He has made me glad. These men trying to trap Jesus are actually trapped. And the only way they can get out Amen. is by bowing to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yes. They refuse oh, to do that. Because the answer to that question, the answer to my question, who has authority in their minds, is them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You think you're in charge of your own life? Who has authority over your life? You think you're in charge? You got the wrong answer to the question. If you're in charge, stop death. Amen. That's the truth. Go ahead. Put a, put a stop to death. If you're in charge, guarantee yourself a place in heaven. Me in charge. Guarantee yourself everlasting life. But all my roses will gather at my funeral, and they will all say I was born again. Uh, but that won't help you. Only Jesus. The only guarantee of eternal life now and forever is through faith alone in Christ alone. Faith has two sides, trust in Christ and repentance, turning from my own life, turning to Christ by faith. My answer to the question, who has authority? Jesus. Amen. Amen.